0: Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is a podcast for sustainable fashion conversations. Whether you're a consumer or a sustainable fashion brand owner, we have a lot of resources just for you. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and I promise to support you and equip you with the knowledge to help right the harmful fashion industry. Without any further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to Recloseted Radio. In today's episode, I am joined by Courtney Watkins, who is the owner of Mine and Yours. Mine and Yours is a Vancouver-based authentic luxury reseller and consignment store. They have been buying, selling, trading, and consigning pre-loved luxury and designer pieces in downtown Vancouver since 2013. I first met Courtney last year in August when we both spoke at an event and ever since then I've always been such a big fan of mine and yours and I know you guys will learn so much from Courtney. We're going to chat about business tips, we're going to chat about retail consignment tips and a lot of other things as well, running a business during COVID. So make sure you stay tuned and without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, Courtney. I'm so excited to have you on. I feel like we're going to have so much to talk about, so (laughs) let's dive in. My first question is really around your journey. I think that you have a really interesting journey, so I would love for you to share, you know, what you studied in school, your career path, and then eventually how you founded
1: mine and yours. Definitely. Uh, So I I grew up out in Maple Ridge, and then um, I moved down to L.A. when I was 17, I went to FITM down there, so the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. I ended up with a degree in product development, but I took a ton of extra courses because I just, I really loved everything in school. So I took a bunch of visual classes and in styling and kind of extended my two-year degree over three years. I also really loved LA and didn't want to leave, so that bought me an extra year of living down there. And when I was going to school, I, I did a lot of internships as well. The PR company is a trend forecasting company, and uh, my last one was with a stylist, and that's how I got into styling, because I interned for him a couple times, and kind of, it was lucky that his assistant couldn't show up one day, and then next thing you know, I was his assistant. So from there, uh, I was in L.A. for a little bit, and decided to move back to Vancouver and kind of give Vancouver a chance. I was back and forth for a while and always working in different aspects of the fashion industry. But then in 2011, I moved back to Vancouver full-time, and I took over my family business, which is a cedar shake and shingle mill. So that is a sawmill. So very, very different avenue from fashion. But I ran that for a couple years with my brother and really got some experience running a company that way and after doing that for a couple years I decided like okay I do want to run a business I just don't want it to be in the wood industry I want to get back into fashion so I had talked to a couple friends and I just kind of let my friends know that I was looking to do something and I wanted to get back into fashion I was starting to write a business plan for a Canadian rent the runway because at that time there wasn't anything like it But as I was doing that, I was introduced to my previous business partner, Jigme, and she had this idea for, it was actually called Baroness on a Budget at the beginning. Glad we changed the name. But she had this idea for a secondhand store, and there was a lot of them like it down in LA. And right when we got together, I knew, I'm like, okay, this is is what I want to move forward with. Wow, that's
0: awesome. And I actually had no idea you used to help out with your family business, which was in the wood industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious, what did you learn from that experience that now you're taking into mine and yours and just kind of with your entrepreneurship journey?
1: Yeah, well, that was a big, like a very big learning lesson for me, uh, just because I didn't know anything about the wood industry. So I just really like learned customer service at that industry and learned a lot about wood. But I came in and just learned the products and contacted the customers and just like really built relationships and ended up like growing the business pretty significantly. And it was just like, really some key relationships and like nurturing them. So one of our core values at Mine and Yours is connect and uplift. And I think we've really been able to grow Mine and Yours too because we came at it with kind of the same concept, just like really nurture the relationships. And like now it's easier to do it because of the women that shop at Mine and Yours are like, you know, we say it's like your best friend's closet. So we want them coming in and feeling like they're going into their, their friend's house. So, which is easier to you know easier to do here than people at roofing yards. But we just really yeah, building relationships with those customers.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And when you started, and I I think you started mining yours back in twenty thirteen, right? Yes. And so back then was secondhand as big as it is now, and if not, like what has happened in the past seven years.
1: Seven years ago, it was definitely not not as popular as it it is now. There was a couple, there was the traditional consignment stores, but there really wasn't any that focused more on designer. And it's been nice to see the trend change because before, you know, a lot of our higher end clients would come in and we were almost like, they're like dirty little secret, you know, they were like, oh, don't tell anyone that they're like shopping or selling with us. And now people are posting while they're in the store, like, look at how good of a deal I got on this. So I feel like it's gone from being almost people like a little bit ashamed of shopping secondhand to now, even if you have the money to buy it firsthand, people are proud of the fact that they're doing something good for the environment and you know, smart because they're saving money.
0: Totally. And if you had to pick which year that kind of happened or when that happened,
1: do you remember? it's hard to say because it's been a slow increase for us we started in 2013 but in 2016 we moved into our new location and our new location is before we really were a hidden secret it was a live work townhouse and it almost looked like it was an apartment it was 300 square feet on the bottom so you really had to find us and then when we moved into our house street location which is where we're still at that's when we started to get a lot of walk-by traffic. Um, So that's when our business really grew and I I started to see it more. I don't know if it was just because of the year or we just we got a lot more traffic then too.
0: Mm, Okay, that's cool. And I know in the early days you really bootstrapped your brand. I read that you started your first store with less than $5,000. Is that correct?
1: Yes, well that was our that was like the build-out for our the two levels of the store. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. So we had um, $50,000 between the two of us, but that was for inventory and for everything. And we actually never, like we never fully used it all. So we were, yeah, we were pretty scrappy, I would say, with how we spent our money. Where when we talked to a business consultant that was going to like help us start mine and yours, they told us we needed half a million dollars to get it started, uh, yeah, a hundred thousand dollars, one hundred and fifty for a store build out. All of this for marketing, and we were kind of like, okay. So we thought about getting loans, but then we found a really good deal on a small space. We started looking for our furniture and our secondhand on Craigslist. We found someone on Craigslist and like you know got our our friends to help build the store together. And yeah, we started small.
0: I love that. And I also find that your business model is really interesting too, because it's essentially like a marketplace. And because of that, you need to build the inventory to your point and also your customers. That can be hard because you're kind of building two sides of it. And at the beginning, especially when you didn't have your first customer yet or your first inventory and you're building your brand, how did you do that?
1: Yeah, we first started by having what we called reverse shopping parties. So we borrowed a friend's really nice apartment and I don't even know if Instagram was, it might've been around, but it definitely wasn't a thing. So we borrowed a friends' apartment and we invited like all of the women that we knew that we liked their closets and they came over with their stuff. We had champagne and appetizers and like all the women were kind of like hanging out, mingling and we went and that was our first round to start buying product. So from there, we kind of got a, that was our supplier list, but some of those women became our customers as well. And it was a lot of word of mouth. I was pretty social. So was Jigme. So we were going out and just obviously so excited about what we were doing that we were just kind of telling everyone about it. And in the early days,
0: because you were a scrappy, how did you decide what to invest in and what not to invest in and be kind
1: of bootstrapping? Whatever we could get at a good deal, we <laughs> that's what we kind of spent our money on. We didn't really do much advertising at all. So it was mostly like the only thing we really spent money on was our rent, our inventory. We had, I think we had one employee part-time to start and then a small build out. Our only really advertising was, I remember we had these little cards that said like, I like your style. So we would go up, we had like a little business card with our info on it. And we'd be like, oh, we love your style and hand out like cards that way. didn't spend too much on um, on any other big expenses. You know, we had to buy a computer and a point of sale system and a couple things like that. But most of that was subscription based as well. So we didn't have too many big expenses to start.
0: Oh, that's really cool. I really like that. I like your card style. I think it's very guerrilla, very like down in the roots. And I think it's really awesome.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we go and like put them at all the nail salons and the coffee shop.
0: Yeah, those locations make a lot of sense. And I'm curious about inventory. I would love for you to explain how you get suppliers and then also how you manage the up and down that may occur because there might be some months where you get a lot of stock and some
1: months you don't. So yeah, just
0: wondering how you manage that.
1: Yeah, so we so we do our buying three days a week. So anyone can come in and you are very correct as in some days we don't have that many items that come in and then some days we have people with just suitcases that come in. So it can fluctuate quite a lot. We only buy in season. So like right now we're buying for spring, summer. We will mark down at the end of season and then for the stuff that doesn't sell then, we either send it to another secondhand store, donate it, or for products that we really like that we just got a little too late in the season, we do have a storage locker and then we store and bring back in. So we're pretty specific on designers that we buy. And it's changed over the years. When we started, we did start with more mid-level price point brands. And as we've been getting more luxury product coming in, our products just starting to get a little more higher end. And then we will see how much we have in each category. So, like right now, we have a lot of denim. So we know we're not really buying denim. Or we know, kind of, we have handbags. We're missing a. We don't have a ton of handbags in between the one and two thousand dollar category. So. We do the best that we can to buy that, but it really just depends on what we get in. Sometimes we know we need some more larger sizes and we can do a call out on social, like, hey, looking for these items, but it does just depend on, on what people bring in. Even when I'm full, if I have room in the bank account, if good product comes in, I just always say yes to it. Like I don't, want, I don't want good product to leave without me buying it. So even if we are full, we'll just buy it and then we'll put it in the back or store it until we have room for it on the floor
0: yeah okay that makes sense and it's just a bit of a fun question but I think if I was in your position I would literally want to buy everything and just keep it all so is that something you struggle with
1: or not really or we were just in a team meeting actually yesterday and we had to put all the like issues we're working on in the business and one of them was Courtney's closet that my team came up with I'm like anyway why is that an issue (laughs) Yes, I do borrow a lot, but the good thing is it's already secondhand. So I can borrow it for a week and wear it and then I I am still able to sell it, which is, you know, lucky if I was a even if if it was a consignment store and if we didn't own the product, I wouldn't feel okay wearing it before we've purchased it. So I do get to wear quite a bit of the products, but often they'll manage to be back out on the floor for sale.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And I'm also curious about the vetting process because I know for luxury resale, authentication is really important. I mean, for example, the real real last year, I know they came under some fire because they let some counterfeits slip and sell on the site. So I'm curious about how you guys vet and authenticate your products.
1: Yeah, definitely. So first, we uh most of our suppliers, we have built relationships with, so we know our suppliers. And when new people come in, we ask for ID and we get all of their info there's different authentication products or avenues for different products. So for handbags, because often those are more expensive items, we do an in-house authentication. So we have like a guide, a resource guide from the different brands that say what we look for. Um, And then depending on the price point of the bag, depends on whether we send it to authenticate first, uh, which is one third-party authentication or entropy. So they will then look at photos or entropy has a little machine and like scans different parts of the of the bags and gives us an authentication certificate
0: that's so cool i didn't know you could actually
1: scan products yeah it attaches to like a phone and it's a little it it takes photos of it but it's like they're magnifying photos on different parts of the bag it has taken those photos on all the real bags too wow that's awesome Yeah, that's what we do with bags, and then with shoes and clothing, uh, we do it. uh, We do it in house. So we're looking at the stitching, we're looking at the tags, and it kind of goes through our in house authentication, and then uh, passes that.
0: Switching gears a little bit, I would love to hear about how you pivoted your business due to COVID nineteen, because I know predominantly a lot of your sales must come from your brick and mortar store in Vancouver. So how did you pivot and really adapt to these times?
1: Yeah. So when COVID-19 hit, I was actually in Toronto about to launch a pop-up in Yorkville. So that didn't happen. So the day I decided to cancel the pop-up, we also closed down mine and yours. So it was the middle of March. And yeah, at the beginning, I was you know definitely worried and didn't know what was going to happen because 80% of my business was in store. So I re-forecasted like, COVID numbers and figured out like, Kind of really what I would need to survive a few months and then we just focused all of our so I did have to lay off like two people at the beginning but everyone else stayed on and the people that were working more in store just everyone's focus went to social and their online store so we doubled down on how many hosts we were doing and how many stories Uh, we used now that we didn't have customers in our store we had a backdrop always pretty much set up at the store and we were constantly shooting products. Girls that were working in the store were writing the product descriptions and we, yeah, we just, online sales were, were definitely better than I first anticipated. So I think we like quadrupled our online sales almost in, um, in April.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And then as things go back to the new normal, are you going to continue online, do you think?
1: Yeah. So we just actually leased an office space right next to mine and yours. And I have been looking at this office space for two years. We weren't ready for it back then. I, I always said when like, we had an online business that could afford an office, then we'll get one. And we finally got that. And then this office space came up as well. So the, the plan is making sure we keep more social content and more products up on our online store.
0: Congratulations on the office space. That's a huge milestone.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, And as we've been open, so we've been open for about a month now. And the traffic in-store is definitely way slower than it was before COVID. I would say it's down to about a quarter of what it was before. But we're still seeing online sales increased. So not quite to what it was in May when everyone was at home. (laughs) People were really on their phones, and it so we did we did more then. We also had a big sale, which we don't do that often, so that really helped as well. So we're seeing it balance out a little bit, but moving forward, I see instead of online being you know twenty percent of my business, I see it moving into over fifty.
0: Wow, that's a pretty significant jump. That's awesome, though. Yeah. And then are you thinking now, because you're moving online, you're going to expand maybe uh, landscape-wise? Or are you currently selling in Toronto or other parts of Canada or the U.S. right now?
1: So we do sell for our online store uh, through to Canada and the U.S. We actually do quite a bit of business out east in Canada. That's why one of the reasons we wanted to do a pop-up. Toronto Market is our second largest market we sell to. And then we sell all over the U.S. too. Mainly our business is in Vancouver because we have that, again, we've really built those relationships with our customers. They know us. They know the type of product that, that we have. So we, we have a bigger following here, but looking to, looking to expand that um, across Canada and into the U.S. more.
0: And speaking of customer relationships, I think you do a really good job at just cultivating that and nurturing your customers. So do you have any tips to any
1: business owners out there about that? I'm trying to think for me, it almost comes easy because like, I love clothes. I love fashion. I get excited about it. And the customers coming in are usually the same as well. So it's it's just like, it's really genuine bonding when people pick up a bag and they're excited about it, you know, like we are too. But one thing that we've done that's really worked well is like, I love to have a party. (laughs) So we always have parties at mine and yours. And that's when you really like get the customers in, having some drinks, like hanging out instead of making it so transactional, like tons of of people that come to our events when, you know, when, who knows when we'll have them again, but you know, they're not coming in to buy. We're not expecting big sales days necessarily, but they're coming, just like coming in and hanging out. And we kind of have a lot of fun that way.
0: Yeah, nurturing your customers is so important. And I think those private parties sound like a really great tactic. Is there also something similar that you do to nurture customers online?
1: Yeah, we have a whole format of like how we talk to our customers online as well as in-store. It's Harder to build those relationships online because you don't meet person to person But there's a lot of clients where we're talking to them all of the time on social And the girls doing our social media are really as well building those relationships with the girls through social
0: Yeah, it's really important to have those online conversations I mean the dms are definitely where it's at to nurture your community. So that's great And I was also curious, do you measure your sustainability impact because you are diverting a lot of product from the landfill and giving it a second life?
1: Oh, you know what? I don't measure that, but I like it and I'm sure that's something that I could figure out. Like we know like how many, I could look into like how many pieces, you know, we're even selling a year or something like that.
0: Because I think that would be huge because you must have so much inventory going in and out all the time and to have it and to give it another life will have quite a big impact, I think.
1: Yeah, we have thousands of pieces at a time in the store. So yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. I'll look into that.
0: Yeah, you should do it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, Well, so now I have some business related questions because there's a lot of slow fashion founders that do listen to this podcast and I feel like you have a lot of knowledge. So over the past seven years, like what are maybe some of your biggest learnings that you've had from a business perspective?
1: I would say one learning is just like you don't have to be good at everything (laughs) and you don't necessarily have to do everything right now. And you know, now we're at a point in our business where we can afford to hire on more people. But I think I've always been in the business a lot. And now that I'm trying to kind of step out and work on the business, I still like, um haven't let go of some of those like smaller task things. But there's, there's people out there that are much better than me at them. And just really figuring out what your strengths are and Most people, like, I don't enjoy doing my weaknesses, you know, but I've always felt like, well, I just, like, that's what I have to do, you know, as a business owner, but starting to realize, like, hmm, actually, I don't. There's someone else that will enjoy doing it and that will do a better job, and then I can spend that time, even though it does cost money, now I've freed up my time to do things that I'm better at and that I enjoy doing more.
0: Yeah, and so speaking of that, what does your team look like right now, and what is everyone working on?
1: We have a team of nine right now, and then I'm in the process of hiring. So nine and then one like a bookkeeper admin assistant part-time. So they are split equally between e staff and sales staff. Few of the sales staff are both. So they'll work in the store and do, uh, and do sales, but also when it's slower, creator stories and get back to messages. Uh, but actually, I think we might even have one more person in e and marketing than we have in store right now. So then we have a copywriter, so pretty much full-time copywriter writing product descriptions as well as helping with other e tasks. And then our e-commerce manager who also does all of our photography as well.
0: Yeah. And when you first start to hire, I find it can be really hard to let go of that control because sometimes you want to do things a certain way. So how have you combated that? My team might say I'm
1: still not that great at it, but <laughs> really just, so what I'll do is in order to, to pass it over to someone, like writing out the steps. So just last year, we have like a much clearer, like procedure manual where things are written out. So going through and like training someone or having them watch you do it. And then the next time watching them do it. And then always, always having clear steps that they can go back to and knowing like they might not do it exactly the way that you want to but they'll you know they'll they'll catch up to speed pretty quickly
0: yeah i resonate with that because when i first started hiring it was very much so this is the way i do things and i feel like this is the best way and it was surprising because work would come back and it would be done a different way but then it was eye opening because sometimes it'd be done better or more efficiently and just in a way i never thought of before
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, sometimes you're like, "Wait, why are you doing it this way?" and you can actually I like it better that way or sometimes you're like, "I would have never thought of that. This is great."
0: Exactly. Yeah. And when you first started hiring, how did you know when to hire and what positions to hire for? Yeah,
1: that's that's something that there's no, I've realized as we grow too, there's no manual for what positions you need. And when COVID hit and our sales went down as well, there's no manual for like what positions You know, of all of them, you need to get rid of. We started uh, when we started mining years. We started with interns, so we had you know zero income coming in. So we had a team of interns, and then from there we hired two of those interns on. We first started with sales, and then after they were helping sell for a while, because I used to do almost all the buying. um, Then uh, she was trained into buying and helped with buying. I knew I did our bookkeeping for the first year but, or maybe not even full year. So I knew that was something I needed to outsource right away. We slowly had them start with interns, salespeople, buyers, then managers, then like full social media, marketing, like e-com leads. So it's kind of, I feel like the, the positions have just steadily gone up and then, and then some of those roles have been split out.
0: Yeah, I think that approach of hiring an intern, starting small, and then layering on the work makes sense because sometimes it can be a lot to take on to hire a full-time person and it can cause a lot of anxiety and stress. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I would love to chat with you about your thoughts about founders creating a strong personal brand because in addition to the Mine and Yours brand, I know you've built a really strong personal brand as well. And so I'm just curious about your reasoning behind that and your thought process around doing that.
1: Yeah, I, at first, like, I think now I know how much it really does, you know, make sense to have a personal brand that, that kind of builds along with your business. Um, At the beginning, I did it mostly because I also like love clothes and love taking, you know, taking photos with clothes and kind of doing the photo shoots. Um, So I just really had fun with it. And it wasn't, I wasn't building it thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this for my company. I just really enjoyed it and While I was learning how to build mine and yours it's Instagram, I just kind of took those things that I learned and did them uh, them with my own too. But one of the reasons I knew it would be more beneficial if I had a following too, because if I was reaching out to people about collaborating with mine and yours, it looks, you know, it does look better if I also have a following as well as mine and yours. Uh, It just kind of like makes it easier to, to, to reach out to people. And, uh, yeah, just as I learned things on how to like increase mine and yours, social awareness, I just kind of put those two uh, over to my own personal brand too. I also be cool and I still haven't done it, but I was like, oh, I could take a free trip somewhere or like a free brand product or like we're giving people clothes to post. I'm like, I want clothes to post, but so far mine and yours, it's really doing it for me.
0: You should pitch it next time. Hey guys, like I'd I'd be down. I can go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and when you were first starting out how did you find the time to do that because you were probably wearing so many different hats and social media content creation takes a long time so i'm just wondering how you managed it all
1: now for social what i actually what i do now too so i can like live in the moment when i'm out is i'll take videos and i'll create posts but i actually never I always post later that night or like the first thing kind of the next morning so that I'm not, and this isn't necessarily productivity tips. It's more of like being able to create a social profile, but still being able to live in the moment a little bit more. So I'll take photos, take videos, and then I wait until later to like put my captions on and post it. And then at the beginning, I don't know, it all just seemed to scale at the same time. So when we started with Instagram, there was no stories, you know, it was just a a post every couple days. So it didn't seem like it took up that much time. I I probably spend a lot more time on it now than I I did when we started. I think we probably all spend more time on Instagram now than we did a while ago. How did they do this to us? I know we're all addicted. (laughs) We're all addicted, definitely. So yeah, kind of just scaled naturally. Like at the beginning, it did, I didn't feel like it did take as much time as I, as I spend on it now. And now I don't do our our mine and yours Instagram. We have Christina is the manager of it. And then we have two other girls that work on it. So we have a staff of three that, uh, that work on our social. So it definitely is time consuming.
0: Yeah, it does totally take a long time. And with your personal work now, do you have a workflow that works for you? Like what's your morning routine? What's your evening routine? All that stuff.
1: Yeah. So I have, it's actually like right here. I have a a journal called the Oak Journal and I just gave it uh, last week to all of the team as well. So they can use it as well because I've, I found when I do do it and I'm not as diligent as I would like to be but it really just makes my day a lot more productive so on the one side it's what's your gratitude for the day what is your top priority you've set your goals for the three month before so like what are your top three things you need to do in order to achieve your goals then you lay out your day it's like a just a time blocked calendar even though you already have it on your phone and it's already digital just like writing it out kind of makes you a little more aware of it and then on the other side is my notes and my to-do list. So that's kind of how I start my day. And I do that at, I'm, I do that at 9 a.m. And then we have a team daily huddle at 9.50. So, and now we do it on Zoom uh, since COVID. We all just get on a quick 10 minutes and it's like just letting us all know what you're working on for the day, what your priority is, and if you need any support from any of the other team members.
0: Very cool. Awesome. And then do you have an evening wind down routine? I always love hearing about people's routines. <laughs>
1: do not, but I probably should should create one.
0: (laughs) No, it's all good. I also don't have a great evening wind down routine, so that's why I'm selfishly asking you. But for me, I'm just trying to really not look at screens past 9 p.m., but it's still something I'm working on and sometimes it does slip.
1: Mm, I'm working on that. I'm still working on getting my morning routine down with the journaling, so I'm starting at one at a time. But I don't have a wind down. I'm, you know, probably on my screen in bed more than I should be. I'm trying to do it so my my uh, phone is plugged in on a charger that I can't reach my bed, so I have to put it there and then I can't grab it. But what I find works a lot better is I'll often listen to a, a podcast or an or an audio book before I go to bed. Um, ideally, one that even that I've heard before, so it's just like I'm listening to it, but uh, that kind of helps me fall asleep.
0: Yeah, are there any podcasts you recommend right now, or what are you listening to or reading?
1: I I just listened to Dare to Lead by Brené Brown, and I loved it. It's just about uh, leading and managing, but it was really really good. And then my favorite podcast is is How I Built This. And then also like Without Fail. So like one building up, and the other Without Fail. And then a go to the other go to is kind of Girl Boss.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Those are some good ones. And speaking of leadership, as someone is just building their team and kind of getting into that role, do you have any leadership tips over the years? Like, how do you motivate your team? How do you value them? Just anything you've learned over the years?
1: Yeah, being open, just being open and honest with with the team. As the team has grown, sometimes it's hard to get that time for one-on-one conversations with people. So I try and schedule in even just like once a month and it can seem like I see them all the time, but sometimes it it can be hard to have those like more personal conversations and deeper conversations about how things are going when I'm in the store and there might be a customer or there's always someone that can overhear. So scheduling time in, whether it's a full performance review or, or just like a touch base. And then really just, I'm, I feel like with management and leadership, that's something I'm really trying to focus on and learn right now. So just learning or listening to the dare to lead. And it, you know, we didn't really have to think that much about it when it was like a four person team, you know, we always just knew what everyone was doing and we were on the same page. So the morning huddles have really helped. And then, yeah, I'm still kind of working on my, I think, leadership skills are something that you can always, uh, always improve on and and, uh, grow.
0: Yeah, totally. And in terms of performance feedback and things like that, it's something I'm still working on too, just giving, obviously the good ones are so easy and they're great to have, but then when it's not great, how do you do that? Because I always find it so difficult and you want to make sure you're being direct and you're being understood, but you also are being empathetic.
1: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. <laughs> and unfortunately during, you know, during COVID there was a, some people that I had to let go of and it's like, you know that's, though I've done it before, it never gets easy, especially if it's, um, you know, people that you care about, but the, the role just isn't there or right for them anymore. What Renee says like clarity is kind and that's something I'm I'm learning too, is like before I would feel bad delivering the news of like what they're not doing well, but everyone wants to know. So really just like not thinking of it as like, Ooh, I feel bad. I'm going to tell them that like, they're not doing something correct. Like any really good team member, if you're not happy with something that they're doing, they really want to know. So one sandwiching it, you know, making sure you're not just always going to them with with things they aren't doing well. If you do have something, you know, that you want to work on, just making sure you're like kind about it and also talking about the things that they are doing really well, too.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, what are some of your goals for this year? Obviously, they may have changed because of COVID-19, but I'm curious about what's on the horizon for you.
1: Yes, so pre-COVID, my was we were doing a pop-up in Toronto and assessing out whether we were going to have a permanent Toronto location. And then I was looking for a second location in Vancouver. Now we are, I'm holding off on the second location in Vancouver. Toronto is still up in the air. We still have the space that we rented is still there. No, of course, nobody knew is going in. So we have a one to two month availability to use it. We're just It's all up in the air uh, to see if it it makes sense, but hopefully August or September, we'll still be going out to Toronto to launch a pop-up there and really just let our customers know about our online store out there too. So kind of what we've done by building the relationships here where a lot of the clients who just shopped in store now shop online, that's our plan to do out in Toronto too.
0: And with the Toronto pop up, I'm curious, what were some of the KPIs that would determine whether or not it made sense for you to open a store in Toronto? For example, would it be the sales that you did in the pop up? Would it be just the amount of traffic that the pop up generated? What would you be examining?
1: We did a pop up there two years ago, and it was just for a weekend. So we looked at what our sales are on our online store and how many customers and dollars we're getting from out there. And then I just, I did a buying trip out there and just kind of started talking to people too. I started looking at what's out there. And yes, there's some great consignment stores out there, but there isn't anything really great that's resale. And Toronto, there's just so many more people than Vancouver that just looking at the population, what our sales were and going to look at some of the neighborhoods, I realized that there was definitely enough demand.
0: Okay, well, I'm crossing my fingers and I hope it works out. And any last words of advice for business owners or just anything in general that you'd like to mention?
1: Nothing really that I can think of. Just like I, you know, I do like sharing the kind of the journey about me working in a mill and running um, running another business. Cause I think especially now that COVID's hit and probably a lot of people have, you know, lost their jobs or in order to make money, like might be doing something that they don't think is helping their career path, but like really just don't know what lessons you're going to learn in any role. And you can take those and eventually apply it to what you really do want to do, but it just doesn't always happen overnight. So, you know, I was not working my dream job for, for years before it happened. And if I didn't go there and learn how to run a business, like I wouldn't have been able to do this.
0: That's a really good piece of advice. I think there's lessons to be learned in every experience, to your point. And so it's just keeping that in mind, keeping an open mind. And eventually, I think everything always works out looking back. And last but not least, how can everyone find you? Where is this story located? And what are
1: your social media handles? Street location is 1025 Howe, and we're open seven days a week. Our Instagram is at mineandyoursco, and And then my personal one is itscourtwatkins, and if anyone has any further questions, feel free to uh, send me a DM.
0: Awesome, and if someone does visit you in-store, are there any COVID precautions that they should be aware of?
1: Yeah, we're not. We're asking people to wear masks, but it's not required. Um, and then we do have extra masks there. We have sanitizer at the front and we have kind of a safety screen that we're standing behind. Uh, we also, after clothes have tried on, we're putting them away and they're not coming out on the floor till the next day.
0: Got it. Awesome. Well, this was so great. There was so much nuggets of wisdom that you shared. So thank you so much, me. I think people will really enjoy listening to this episode. Awesome, thank you. And that was today's episode with Courtney from Mine and Yours. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot of yourself listening to it and upload it to your Instagram stories and tag us at recloseted and at Co. We would love to hear your takeaways and just see who's listening to this episode. If you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe so that new episodes are automatically downloaded whenever they are released. Last but not least, if you haven't already, make sure you give us a positive rating and review if you think we deserve it, because that really helps us get found and then we can spread our sustainable fashion movement. Together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.